Howdy and welcome to Retro Groove. I'm Adam C. And I'm Liam D. And this is a podcast where we talk about music that stands the test of time, the albums and artists that have shaped and reshaped the sonic landscape, as well as covering new music from those artists. Today, we have a chock full episode. We're going to be talking about what we've been listening to, some music news. Uh, We've got some questions from the Discord community we'll be tackling. Um, And then on side B, we'll go over this day in music and an artist spotlight on Garbage, who have a new album coming out on June 11th. Uh, as well as producer Butch Vig and his legacy in the music world and some of the timeless albums that he has produced. Uh, but first, Liam. Yeah, man. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. Um, you know, excited to to kind of kick back and chat about some of this stuff. It's been a busy week, so uh, I'm looking forward to um, talking about some of the music that I'm digging and, uh, and, and definitely excited to talk about Butch Vig, man. I'm a, I'm a massive fan, so this is going to be great. I'm a fan too. Definitely. So what have you purchased these past couple weeks since we last spoke and, uh, what have you been listening to? Um, so a couple things I, I actually had a weird pickup. Um, I was like on the polyvinyl website a while back and uh, looking for something completely different. And I saw that they had a copy, or they were selling a copy of Perfecting Loneliness, which was Jets to Brazil's last album. Um, Love Jets to Brazil. Yeah, Jets to Brazil, Blake Schwarzenbach of, of Jawbreaker, huge fan, but I just, I, I've always loved Jets to Brazil, and I've always wanted mm-hmm. this on vinyl. It's been out of print since I was in high school, basically. Oh, wow. Um, and so I... Um, I never was able to get a copy or, or find a copy for a decent price. Um, and Polyvinyl it didn't put this out, but they were randomly selling it. They had like a clearinghouse kind of thing on their store. So I snagged that. Love that album. Um, what that set you back? Uh, I think it was only like twenty. It was it was like retail. It was like twenty nine ninety nine oh, nice. or something like that. Yeah, it wow. wasn't anything crazy. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. And also another one that I, I thought that I would never have this week. It's been like one of those uh, windows where you just keep kind of stumbling upon stuff is um, an uh, album called The Rescue by Explosions in the Sky, who I think that you're familiar with, Texas band, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Fantastic instrumental band. Um, and they had put out, bef- again, before I was really a fan of theirs, they had put out this uh, album there, I guess they think their, their van had truck had broken down and they were stuck somewhere for eight days and they wrote a bunch of music around that and then recorded it and put it out when they were on the road. 
Um, and so if you went and saw them in 2005 or 2006, you could, you could buy this thing. Um, they did put it up digitally a few years ago. So I actually got to hear it, but I never had a chance to own it. you know, like the CDs that got passed around from that era were kind of few and far between. Um, but it, yeah. it but so their label, uh, temporary residents re-released it. I didn't realize it. they re-released it a year or two ago and I stumbled across a, a sealed copy this, uh, this past week. So, um, yeah, so that was cool. Um, you had reminded me Peter Gabriel anniversary of so I love that album. Yes. It's such a good album. Um, I mean, there's so many so good, good songs on that, but, um, but sledgehammer is obviously like a jam. I love big time. Um, the music video for sledgehammer is just so creepy. My, I, I used to run out of the room crying and my parents had to turn it off cause the dancing chicken, <laughs> the dancing chickens uh-huh. are just so weird. Um, and then, yeah, I, I picked up uh, Candio by the Cars. Um, I've just been like in that place nice. lately. Um, and I have the first, the, the self-titled, and I've got one other, but I don't have enough of their music on vinyl. Um, and I saw that it was for a good price, and so I, so I snagged that for a couple bucks. What about you? Um, okay, so well, I mentioned last episode that I was able to procure a copy of Loveless by My Bloody Valentine, the reissues that came out um, on the 28th, I believe. The local shop, which I, I don't blame them at all. They're a wonderful shop, wonderful people. It was a, it was a clear, you know, um, honest mistake. When I got to the shop to pick up the copy that I'd purchased over the phone, it was not a copy of Loveless. It mm. was another one of their albums, MBV. Oh, no. So, yes. Yeah, so I was really dejected, but I was like, it's okay. You know what I mean? I, I didn't blame them at all. I was a, I was sad about it, but I wasn't upset at them. I just had to make peace with it at the moment. And I, you know, I, I, I got a refund and did all that stuff. And, you know, there's, there's still a a great shop, still one of my favorite local shops. Um, but I didn't want to miss out on this opportunity to get a copy of Loveless. So I hopped on Discogs Mm. and found one at a reasonable price from a shop in the UK because this pressing was was technically only released in in Europe. Uh, it, it's coming out of the UK. And the shops in the US got very, very limited quantities. Um, I was even reading about, you know, shops that had a certain number of pre-orders and they didn't even get enough to fulfill um, those shipment to fulfill the pre-orders. Uh, so brutal. I found a shop uh, online uh, or on Discogs, um, Action Records, uh, out of the UK, and their shipping was uh, ten pounds, British pounds, which is actually about half of what most uh, of the online uh, retailers that I see charge for shipping. Usually, yeah. it's like something between twenty to twenty-five British pounds, and it's just like it, it makes it cost prohibitive. So I picked it up and ultimately it ended up being only about eight or ten dollars more than what I would have spent if I ordered it directly from uh, Domino and paid their shipping, which is like sixteen dollars. Not bad. So it's coming. 
Uh, it's coming from across the pond. Yeah. And I should have it by my birthday in a few weeks, which would be a nice little gift to myself. So I'm, I'm really waiting for that. Um, I also grabbed a few records from, uh, I've got a buddy, Eric, who I grew up with. We went to high school together and, um, he not only collects vinyl, but sells, uh, vinyl and he has some live shows, uh, on Facebook that he does once in a while, some live auction shows. Mm -hmm. Um, and the Facebook group is called the grail. If you want to check them out and get involved in that interesting world of, of vinyl sales. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a live Facebook video and, um, the presenter will, you know, show what they've got and have a starting bid. And then, you know, folks will comment what their bid is. And, you know, once we have a final bid, that's the selling price. I was able to pick up an original pressing of Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, nice. which, if I'm being honest, is probably my favorite Pink Floyd album. Cool. It's a it's a Terre Haute pressing, and it's in really good condition. It does not have the poster. I know you were asking well, I, about that. I, I was wrong. That's Dark Side of the Moon. I thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, oh. different. So different album. No, no poster in, in Wish You Were Here. It was. It was Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. So you're good. Well, it's got. Yeah, I'm good. It's got the original sleeve on the inside and it's in it's in good shape, not perfect, but you know, I'm not the kind of collector that cares about things being immaculate or, you know, the rarest of the rare. Uh I'm more in it for the listening experience, but I was really happy to finally get um that this record, my my favorite Pink Floyd album, you know, really really close Dark Side of the Moon. It's almost toss up, but if if I'm going to sit down and listen to a record probably more than Dark Side of the Moon I'm going to I'm going to put on Wish You Were Here. Um also in that auction I uh I picked up uh the self-titled debut album from The Pretenders who I'm a huge fan of. Cool. Um I picked up a copy of The Cars Heartbeat City nice. so we both got a uh we both got a Cars record, we got our, right? Our, Didn't you pick yeah, up? Yeah, we got our Ocasek fix uh, this week. That's Absolutely. awesome. Happy about that. Yeah. And then uh, I, I mentioned it in passing, but he actually threw in, without me even you know having to pay for it, he, he threw in a copy of Abbey Road uh, by the Beatles because I, I had casually mentioned that it was like the only um, Beatles studio album that I was missing. Oh, wow. So he, he threw that in there. That's cool. Um, yeah, I was really, I was really happy about that. I thanked him. Um, but yeah, check out the grail on Facebook. If, if that sounds like something that interests you, um, I picked up from Piranha records, the, um, solo album from Justin Hayward called Songwriter. Okay. Justin Hayward is the guitar player for the Moody Blues. Right. And um, I, I have and love the album that he did with the, uh, the bass players called Blue, uh, Blue Jays. And that's just an excellent record and sounds a lot more like the Moody Blues. This one is a little bit more progressive and kind of more rock oriented than uh, the Moody Blues records, but... Um, I, I sat there and listened to the whole thing front to back as soon as I got it home. It was just really, really cool. Listen, um, 
I also at Piranha Records picked up a copy of Magical Mystery Tour Sweet. by the Beatles. Awesome. Lots of Beatles. Not, yeah, lots of Beatles. Not my favorite Beatles record. Weird one. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. It is it's one of the offbeat ones. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's got some essentials on there, mm-hmm. you know, Strawberry Fields and all that. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have it to complete the Studio LP collection. And, um, it's, it's probably not one that I would listen to a lot. I mean, nine times out of 10, I'm either going to throw on Revolver or Abbey Road, but it's worth having for sure. Um, my interesting pickup is I found, for some reason, I, I got on this kick of purchasing, um, hip hop cassette tapes. I'm not a okay. big cassette tape guy. Right. But the cassette tapes that I do purchase, all of them are, you know, kind of golden era hip hop. Mm-hmm. And I found a factory sealed copy of Cool Mo D's greatest hits. Wow. On cassette at Where? Piranha Records. At Piranha. Cool. And and I picked it up and I have not opened it yet. Yeah. <laughs> I, do you do you I have do a boombox to play it in? Is the question. Do you have a big boombox with well, a handle? Okay, I do not have a functioning boombox at the moment, but I do have a you know component tape uh, set. Right. Um, I, I have a Technics com, uh, tape player, and I have that hooked up to my receiver. So that is something that I will. Yeah definitely be opening and listening to. And I, I thought that, that deserved, um, you know, a, a video. And so I'll, I'll be doing that when, when the mood hits and when the time is right. Cool. Uh, but yeah, still shrink trapped. Um, that's basically it. I've been listening to, um, the new black midi album, uh, which came out on the 28th called cavalcade. It's uh, definitely a challenging listen. Mm-hmm. Um, Black Midi is sort of an experimental uh, math rock, noise rock band from London. Um, they're maybe kind of, it's hard to categorize those types of bands, but uh, if you're into uh, bands like maybe Mr. Bungle or Battles, um, kind of similar to that in the same kind of vein, well, they'll throw in um, some, you know, dissonance and some crazy time signatures and uh some jazz flourishes here and there along with the just constant barrage of changes in the in the in the mood of the music it's it's really really interesting and definitely worth a listen but cool. i've been listening to that as well so you want to get into some of the um news that's come out recently yeah sure um, well, I saw on here, so, uh, Liz Fair, new album coming out, looks like, yeah. in, this week, this past week. Actually came, yeah, yeah. came out yesterday. Yeah. Um, I, I gave it a cursory listen and, um, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's probably going to take me a couple more listens to really get into it. Right. But, um, it, it did kind of bring me back to uh, being a teenager and yeah. kind of fawning over her a little bit in my bedroom. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, her first new album in 11 years. So it's pretty interesting when an artist, you know, goes that long without putting out any material and then uh, just 
pops up with a full blown album. And, uh, I think it's really cool. Yeah. She had had a bunch of, I think some, some legal issues, some personal issues and stuff, but also, um, it's really interesting to see there's so many fantastic, um, women singer songwriters right now. There's this massive movement. Um, and, uh, she really kind of was one of the people that set the stage, um, for them and broke down a bunch of barriers for, uh, these women who are now kind of carrying the torch. So it's awesome to see her back. Um, she's also going on tour. Um, they just announced the rescheduled tour dates with garbage and, uh, and Alanis Morissette. So some, some real powerful women going out there. I don't know how everyone's feeling about live music. I just went to, uh, to an out door show first one since the pandemic really other I did a drive-in show at one point but um but uh, live music is back you know everybody's gonna get to it at their own pace but um you know the, yeah. the tour dates are out there I think they kick off um mid-August through the end of September so a full like month and a half run um and uh it's gonna be great I mean the three of them together is gonna be fantastic yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I have not gone to a show yet. Uh, I'm ready to, but I feel like I kind of have to, I don't want to just go to anything. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to make it something special. So I was really hoping that Black Keys and Gary Clark Jr. would announce a reschedule yeah. of the show that I had tickets to last year on the Let's Rock tour, but that doesn't seem like it's materializing, which is a little bit disappointing, but, um, Right. Uh, have you had a chance to listen to the new uh, Billy Gibbons album? No, not yet. Um, but I definitely need to kind of dig into it. That's one of those like I got to throw it on in the car and drive around with it because I know that yeah. it's gonna it's gonna rip. That's exactly what I did. I, I put it on in the car, and uh, I only got through probably the first half of it. But uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's it's just kind of like a heavier ZZ Top. It's a rock album for sure. Awesome. And uh, I I really enjoyed. You know, it, it's one of those records where oh uh, hold on I'm speeding. I need to slow it down. <laughs> um, but uh, so far I'm liking it. Um, that's another one that came out yesterday, and I uh, uh, can't wait to finish the album and hear the rest of it. Awesome. Um, well, a couple other things I wanted to touch on real quick. So, um, obviously record store day, um, with, during the pandemic, they've been spreading it out. They've been doing these drops. So we've got, um, yeah. the, the first drop of this year is happening on, uh, on June 12th. Um, you and I were kind of scanning through some of the releases, not a ton actually that I'm super excited about, but one thing that Same. I, uh, that's probably worth flagging is, um, the Tom Petty release that's coming out just because it's so unique. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it, I, we touched upon it a little bit last week, but it's, um, it's angel called angel dreams, which is mm-hmm. some of the music from the ninth Tom Petty album, which was technically a soundtrack for she's the one. Um, mm-hmm. but when they reissued his whole catalog in like, HD top quality audio. They held back that album and wildflowers. This was like a few years ago. Um, and then 
when they did the Wildflowers reissue, it was Wildflowers and All the Rest, I believe it was called. Um, they yes. pulled they pulled some of the songs because technically the the music from the She's the One soundtrack were leftovers from the Wildflowers sessions. So they pulled some of that stuff to kind of make that package more cohesive. So this mm-hmm. is not being branded as the soundtrack. It's being branded as a standalone like replacement for that album with two oh, okay. yeah with two unreleased Tom Petty songs brand new Tom Petty songs that haven't ever been put out um plus a cover and some other instrumental stuff and whatever so um I like Tom Petty I'm not a massive fan but um but I appreciate him I definitely listen to his music here and there um but it's just a super unique kind of release that is is happening for this admittedly um I have gone to some record store days in the past. It's a weird scene, man. It's, it's, you know, you're waiting in line and there's scalpers that get there super early and then flip the stuff online. And it's, it's, it's kind of a bummer, honestly, especially because they, you know, they only print like 15, 16,000, like countrywide, worldwide for some of these things. And then that's it. Um, it's an exciting, yeah. it's an exciting time to go to a record store. There is a fun little buzz, like an excuse to go in there, but, um, definitely, definitely not, not a waiting in line person, uh, so much. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm not typically one to want to wait in line for anything. Um, there were a couple things that, uh, interested me, the flaming lips, soft bulletin companion, um, there's a there's an Aretha Franklin uh, live in Philadelphia, um, 1972 that I'm interested in, but other than that, there wasn't a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but it's it, I like that they they do this mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully it continues and it does certainly kind of drum up interest in the format, which you know I think is important. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing that I'd be willing to wake up at 5am and get down there or, or, you know, camp overnight for or anything like that. Um, yeah. And then the last thing I just wanted to throw out there, which I just thought was kind of fun is, um, I don't know if there's any, uh, folks that listened or enjoyed parks and rec or if you watched that at all adam but um but they're actually releasing yes, sure did. they were releasing an official uh album from mouse rat with all the hits uh ten thousand yes. five thousand candles in the wind fly little sebastian all of that um and so the official album is coming out in august but there's a vinyl pre-order it's a limited run vinyl uh pressing and the pre-order is up now that comes out in october so um anybody anybody who's a parks and rec fan i feel like this is going to be such a weird one again it could be fodder for the scalpers very easily um but it's coming out via uh dual tone dual tone's a great indie label that knows how to do this kind of stuff right so i think uh i think if you're putting in your you're getting in your pre-orders now you're probably you're probably good they'll 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 press a bunch of them yeah i'm i'm interested in that i'm i'm I, I love Parks and Rec. I'm a big Chris Pratt fan, yeah. so I'm definitely uh, interested in that. Um, you know what? We got some really interesting questions from the Discord community um, these past couple of weeks. So um, I think we can 
take a little time and dig into some of those because um, they've got some thought-provoking uh, questions here. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. I mean, I saw the first one, um, Chris HL94. It's nice for him to not have an NHL94 uh Question, question. Um, and we talked about this a little in the Discord, but he asked uh, for uh, our opinions on what we thought the best one-hit wonder was of all time. Um, and now I weighed in Ooh. saying uh, that I was voting for Semisonic's closing time, but I was going to think about it a little bit. Um, I think I'm going to stand with that just because Dan Wilson is such a fantastic powerhouse that I feel like I can give him that trophy so to speak and and do it no yeah. knowing that he's way beyond that but it is also just such a perfectly crafted pop song that's kind of lasted yeah. for a long time now um but I, I mean there's there's so many weird ones i mean you could go to like baja men's who let the dogs out or right Gro- of course groove is in the heart by delight or whatever um oh, yeah i don't I, <laughs> I don't know did you have any that came to mind well, the one that uh, kind of was the main, and 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 hopefully this isn't um, you know influenced by the fact that uh, unfortunately he passed recently uh, due to COVID, but um, I am actually going with Fountains of Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a pretty big hit with Stacy's mom, but um, my brother and I were big fans of them years and years before Stacy's mom was a big hit. And, um, they are, uh, kind of an amazing band. Um, they originally were actually called wallflowers and, uh, Jacob Dylan. Um, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, he actually kind of bought the name from them. Wow. Uh, because he thought it was such a great name. So I'm sure someone will fact check me on that if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, he, he was a prolific songwriter and did that thing you do, which is maybe one of the catchiest songs ever written. And, um, it, it's, it's kind of a shame that they didn't get more recognition for what they were doing. Also thought it was interesting that you and I kind of picked, um, artists from kind of around the same Mm -hmm. time frame. Yeah. Um, Just maybe our upbringing, but uh, yeah, it's good. Good question. Chris HL 94. Yeah. It it could also be, I just, I would say like, I think that the industry kind of grew starting in the eighties. I mean, we both picked nineties bands, but like starting in the eighties, I think the industry kind of structured itself to be more conducive to have those hits. I mean, you didn't, you did have a lot of one-offs, but I don't think that you consider, uh, you know, like under the boardwalk or whatever, like a, a one hit wonder technically. Um, like I don't, I, I think that once you hit the eighties and the machine has started and MTV has kicked up, yeah. it just, and, and you had this mass like radio network too, um, that you, you wind up, um, having that kind of breeding ground. So I'm sure like you could say wipe out or whatever. like there's so many songs that you could, right. you could throw out there probably from the sixties or seventies, but it's when pop culture, like music in pop culture that again, that MTV generation kind of kicked in that I think that that started to breed the one hit wonders that then, I mean, it's, it still goes on today. 
the ADD generation. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think it's it it definitely had something to do with more of a push for the next big thing. You know what I mean? They were everybody was looking for like what's the next big thing, and so it was more um, searching for what was on the horizon rather than you know earlier in pop music you had artists that had a hit and made a lot of money so the label wanted to milk that artist for everything that they had right so um yeah i think mtv may have played a big role um or just the whole you know digital landscape where you know things were becoming more quickly accessible and and with that comes wanting to move on to the next thing faster and so i think a lot of that plays into um, seemingly having a lot more one hit wonders. I think the eighties was the, the absolute golden age of one hit wonders. Oh yeah. Um, lots of eighties bands that, you know, they came and had a big smash hit and then you never heard from them ever yeah. again. Think of big country or aha or something like that. You oh, know, yeah. those, I mean, those huge they, songs, I would walk 5,000 miles, uh, 500 miles, like, those yep. those songs kind of defined that era in many ways, and then you'd never heard from those artists again. Some of them had big careers overseas and and or went into yeah. production, um, but yeah, it was, it's it's so crazy. Next, I was gonna say next question we got up here. Um, so Mecha Dragon asked, which is actually something that you and I had kind of talked about a little bit uh, as a discussion point on the show at one point. But um, first album we bought with our own money. Do you remember? And and where, if you can remember? I may have even mentioned this in the previous episode, but the, the first album I bought with my own money was Michael Jackson, Dangerous, mm. on CD. And this was back when I got my very first CD player. Um... This was back when CDs were like $22 and came in like a large elongated paper box. Mm. I don't know. I'm I'm definitely aging myself with this, but you know, before CDs came in just the plastic jewel case and that was it, they came in like these it was like twice as tall as the CD uh jewel case itself was. And the, the artwork was closer to what the artwork would look like on a cassette tape, you know, kind of the, the portrait like vertical yeah. orientation. Yeah. yeah. Rather than, rather than a square, like with a CD or an LP. Yeah. And, um, that, that album, because I was crazy about, you know, black or white, which was a huge hit. I was going to ask, is that the reason you saw the music video and you're like, I've got to get this album. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that was that was my generation's thriller. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed that um album and I played it to death. And that was that was the first album that I bought with my own money. Amazing. Um mine was a few years later. I looked that up. That was the end of ninety one, um, was when Dangerous came out. Um so yep. mine was a few years later. It was ninety six. Um, and it was Weird Al Yankovic's Bad Hair Day, 
Um, yes. I mean, my I had a friend, uh, Smitty, who he had a few CDs. He had a Beach Boys CD um, and the Men in Black soundtrack. He had a bunch. He, he was like passing contemporary music to me while I had my parents kind of stuff floating around at home. Um, he was passing me like the CDs that he was getting. Um, and I remember, I, again, like I didn't know who Weird Al was. I hadn't seen a music video <laughs> or anything. And he and I were listening. I remember listening to it in our, in my garage. And I was just like, this is hilarious. And also like, yeah, it was a mashup of all these great songs. He had that polka where he like just jammed on 20 pop songs at the time. Um, oh yeah. And so he does that every album. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I mean, I still, I, I still love weird Al. I think he's great. I've, I've picked up most of his, his records since. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's, I think he's a gateway drug for a lot of people. So I don't think that it's, <laughs> Definitely. I don't think it's an odd one, but, um, but it's not as cool as a Michael Jackson record. <laughs> well, he's definitely a gateway drug for pop music for a lot of people. I actually got to see him in concert a couple of years ago, um, with Dan and, um, we went to, uh, it, and it was actually with a full orchestra. Cool. And that was really, really amazing to see. Weird Al was actually my second album that I bought with my own money. And it's not one that I think a lot of people know about. It was called The Food Album. Hmm. And it was it was more of a compilation of his work from across multiple albums. But it was all songs about food. So it had, it had Eat It. It had Fat. Um, it had My Bologna. Hmm. So it was... All the songs on the compilation were about food. That, so that was the second album I ever bought with my own money. That's amazing. And then I think third was Counting Crows. And I, I, I may have misspoke on the last episode. My memory wasn't, you know, quite quite there in the in the the heat of the moment. But um first was Michael Jackson Dangerous, second was Weird Al's Food album, the third was uh, August and everything after. Awesome. I'm looking at the food album and it looks like he has a song called spam. That is a take on yes. REM stand. And I, I love REM. Yep. And now I really need to hear that song. Like when we're done here, oh, you haven't heard spam. <laughs> I'm going to put spam on the playlist <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to go it's, listen to it. And then I'll put spam on the playlist. It's so good. That's awesome. It's amazing. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's one of the best songs on that album. I think yeah. on that compilation. Um, all right. Probably have time for, uh, one more. Um, so solo something just, um, asked this today. Mm -hmm. If you could collaborate for one day with any musician or band, be it playing or songwriting, who would it be and why them? Yeah. I mean, I, this one kind of stumped me a little bit just because, uh, I do play music, but I'm, I'm pretty shy about it and I cannot imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine sitting in, um, with, with anybody. Um, it's hard to imagine that scenario yeah, taking place but, at all. But, but <laughs> the answer that I came to, which, you know, it doesn't really have a, a retro spin to it, but, um, there's, right. there's a, a great producer, um, called uh, his name's Jack Antonoff. Everyone knows him from the Taylor Swift albums. Um, he's, he did the Lord album, um, but he's got his band bleachers. He was in the band fun. He was in steel train before that. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking like, he's, he's a great guy. He, he draws the best out of everyone that he works with, be it Taylor or St. Vincent. Um, and 
he did the Dixie Chicks album, which was really cool, uh, or the Chicks. Um, and and so I I, the, I guess I took this question in a different direction, where it's like if I'm going to be performing something or I'm going to be recording right. something, I'm going to sit with a guy who will, I, I, I know he plays video games. So maybe we can play some Mario Kart and write a pop song together. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. How about you? I, I'm going big on this one because this is such an out there hypothetical situation. And I also stuck with artists who are still currently alive. Mm. I didn't want to go with something easy like, Oh, I'd love to jam with Jimi Hendrix. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm actually going to go with Paul McCartney because he is number one, my favorite Beatle, one of the most prolific songwriters of all time. And just kind of the coolest guy, like who's cooler than Paul McCartney for real. Maybe David Bowie, (laughs) was cooler than Paul McCartney, but even if David Bowie was still alive, I still think I would choose Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney also seems like he's, he's a little bit friendlier. I, you know, I don't know either of them obviously, but David, (laughs) they're both very intimidating, but I've always gotten a vibe from Sir Paul of a, of a smile and a wave where I think David Bowie seemed a little bit more reclusive. So I think, I think you, yeah, for sure. Right guy. Yeah, I I definitely see that the same way. So, cool. Well, man, we're kind of uh, blowing through the the time here. Um, We're getting close to the end of side A. Um, I think it's probably about time to flip it over. What do you think? Let's do it. Welcome to side B of this episode number two. And we'd like to start off side B by getting into a little bit of this week in music history. And uh, one of the big anniversaries this past week, June 1st, 1967, the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, one of the most widely known uh, Beatles records to say the least and probably one of the most interesting um, what what's your what's your take on Sgt. Pepper's yeah I so my mom is a big Beatles fan um, I grew up with a bunch of her LPs but it was a lot of Rubber Soul and introducing the Beatles yep. like the early stuff um, and then when I was at college um my roommate had, I think it was the white album. I think Piggies is on the white album. I used to just play yep. Piggies a bunch. He was, he was a weird guy. <laughs> um, but I remember like coming back to the dorm room a few times and hearing Piggies and being like, all right, this is a cool song. Um, <laughs> but um, so I had like intermittent appreciation and exposure to the Beatles. Um, but Sgt. Pepper, I was always aware of, but I never owned it. Um, and I remember being at Tower Records one day and there was some kind of like 
reissue, you know, as they do some kind of extended three disc or whatever it was. Um, and so I, I bought that with it's the first Beatles album I bought with my own money. Nice. Um, I mean, especially because as I looked at the back of it again, like I wasn't super familiar or I thought I wasn't super familiar with the album and then just going through it. I, I knew all the songs, you know, yep. um, a little help from my friends when I'm 64, obviously title track. And then my mom kind of raised me as a George Harrison devotee. Um, that's, that's been my Beatle by, by nature. Oh yeah. Um, and so, I mean, within you, without you is just, is fantastic. Um, so yeah, no, I, I love, I have a very special place, uh, in my heart for this album, even though it is, it's wacky is there's a lot of weird stuff going on on this. It's a little wacky, but it's also, I feel very consistent. I, I always feel like with albums, like even revolver to a certain extent, but certainly the white album, it kind of goes all over the place. And while I mm-hmm. always try to be the listen front to back kind of album experience kind of person, um, that this just feels like one of their most consistent albums right up there with Abbey Road, in my opinion. And, um, th- you know, there's not a track that you're like, nah, I could I could skip this one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's a cover to cover for sure. And um, I. I I do think that you know a real Beatles fan if they say their favorite Beatle is George. I think that's oh. <laughs> I think that's the mark of like, okay, you know, they know their stuff. You know what I mean? Like, sure. It, you know, someone's favorite Beatle is is, you know, Paul or John, you know, they might be a real Beatles fan. But if they sure. say their favorite Beatle is George from the get go, you know, that is a person that knows their Beatles and knows their stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my mom was a fan from early on, but um, just her appreciation for like the musicology of what he did, as opposed, I mean, look, the McCartney Lennon combo is is one of the greatest songwriting duos, uh, and it's like they're they're untouchable. um, But George Harrison is just it's just it's a totally different situation. Yeah. Well, it's a total package thing. You know what I mean? They probably would not. The songwriting was definitely there, but as far as the total package goes, wouldn't have been the same. It it really would not. For sure. If if it was just the duo. If they did the Simon and Garfunkel thing, it it mm-hmm. you still would have had some fantastic songs, but it just would not have been the same experience. Right. It wouldn't be as consistent. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, moving on a little bit. And on June 1st in 1974, Alanis Morissette was born. And um, I still have vivid memories of when Jagged Little Pill came out. Uh, and that was that was huge for women in music uh, in the 90s. Even if you weren't personally a fan of her music, you really you really couldn't deny just the powerhouse voice and the influence uh, that she had on a, a lot of artists at the time. Yeah, her energy was just it was it was so powerful. Some of those songs, um, it was either just in your face, um, anger, frustration, like candor, um, or it was this like sincerity. Um, and she's out on the road with garbage who we're going to be talking about. Um, and, and Liz fair, as we mentioned earlier, um, and I'm just interested, I haven't seen her live before. And so it makes that kind of billing that much more enticing, uh, to just see, you know, all these years later, 
is she able to kind of replicate replicate the angst of her 20s on stage now that she's a mom and i guess what is this 74 almost 50 um so it's pretty crazy yeah yeah that would be a really really good welcome back to live music show because I, yeah. I'm trying to, you know, like I said earlier, I'm trying to save it for something special. Mm-hmm. Um, and then June 2nd, 1972, Pink Floyd released their album Obscured by Clouds, which I feel like was kind of their first record that started to make waves and get them uh, to be more well known. Uh, June 3rd, 1942. Curtis Mayfield was born. He would have been 79 years old this year. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, just a few days shy of the turn of the millennium. He died December 26, 1999. And I can't deny his influence on on music as well. I mean, uh, just amazing. Right. And then June 3rd, 1977, Bob Marley and the Wailers released Exodus. Yeah, that's a big one. Just an incredible album, breakthrough album for him, at least in the States. Yeah, um, it's I mean, it's one of the greatest one of the greatest albums probably of all time. Um, it, it is it's another cover to cover um, for the sure. Front the front uh, the first the side A of that um, is fantastic. Um, but then when you flip it over and, and look at si- the B side, like Jamming, one love, waiting in vain, Non-stop turn your hits. lights down low. It's insane. I mean, I think it's the album. There's more hits. There's more singles from this on his greatest hits than anywhere else. And, oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible. It's an incredible album. It was at a very contentious time in his life. There was a lot of political strife going on. There was an assassination attempt. He fled Jamaica. Um, he Crazy. had just kind of broken through internationally like a year or two before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to to have all of that going on and to have that success and then to just it's one of those perfect moment albums. Right. It's oh, it seems sure. like it's just it just the, the sauce was fan was just right. And it happened. Um, and I kind of wish that I had been alive and present uh yeah. when this happened because I, I don't know what it was like you know i don't i don't know i'm not familiar with how it was received in the time but um it seems like it had to have been if you were in the know or you were familiar with it it seemed it must have just been scratched the the itch it must have been the perfect the perfect thing to hear from this artist yeah, I do. all I really know is that it was a top 20 album in the States. Mm. And so it was definitely on the, you know, the radar of probably most of the, at least the music uh, fans at the time. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't have gotten that high on the charts. Um, cool. But yeah, obviously, in, in retrospect, you you can't, den- it, it almost plays like a greatest hits album. It's just yeah. wall to wall hits. Yeah. And uh, love Bob Marley. And it really... Exodus and Kaya are kind of the only two that I do end up finding myself listening to on yeah. purpose mm-hmm. um, because, man, you can't go wrong with with no. with Exodus or Kaya. Yeah, they're, they're definitely like I said, they're cover to cover. You can just throw it on and um, and you're, you're in a good place for sure. For sure. And then June 4th, 1969, Johnny Cash released his Live at San Quentin album. Uh, Probably not 
quite as well known as at Folsom Prison. Uh, mm-hmm. This was kind of a follow up due to the success of Folsom Prison. Um, but man, w- when you listen to Johnny Cash, at least me personally, I, I love the live albums. There's just so yeah. he's just got such an energy that yeah. um, isn't quite there in the you know the older studio albums um, studio recordings and then obviously it's almost a completely different Johnny Cash than um, what he was doing later on in life which is amazing in its own right for real um, yeah but yeah I love those live albums from him yeah yeah and then last but not least on June 4th 1984 Bruce mm-hmm. Springsteen released born in the USA Maybe one of yeah, the most misunderstood title yep. track songs. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'll not a huge so, boss yeah, fan. On many political campaigns, yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I'm not a huge boss fan. Uh, mm-hmm. The only album of his I, uh, I own is Nebraska, um, which is starkly different from yeah. Born in the USA. Um, but uh, he did kind of lose me in the 80s with like a lot of the synthesizers and stuff like that. Not that that's mm-hmm. bad, but it didn't it didn't feel like what I felt like Bruce Springsteen should feel like. Sure. Yeah. I, a lot of my favorite artists, and I think this was right after Nebraska, right? I think it goes, again, I'm not, I'm trying to remember. I think it goes river, Nebraska, born in the USA. Um, But it, it, so many of my favorite artists now cite him as one of their primary influences and so i've tried to revisit his music a bunch and find my entry point um Mm -hmm. and i have an appreciation for it and um there's plenty of songs that i like i've I've seen him live he's the energy is fantastic his band's great he can write a heck of a song it's just it just never clicks for me it's and it's interesting we could go into this some other time i don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole but um there's there's something about the fact that he's writing fiction, you know, there's there, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. plenty of that in, in pop music. Um, but there's something about it that never resonates with me as opposed to the artists that I love where I feel like they've just opened a vein and I'm seeing into their lives or just experiencing what they experience. And the way that he writes is rarely, like that he's telling a story to communicate those feelings as opposed to just putting his blood on the page. Um, and, and it's just never, it's going to be there somewhere. There's going to be something someday that it's going to, it's going to click for me, but it just, it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. It kind of just feels like he's telling other people's stories. Yeah, exactly. And not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but yeah, I, sure. I, I feel you. Um, he's telling his dad's stories. He's he's telling he's telling stories about what he saw and what he grew up around. But right. it's it's less experiential and more observational. Um, and again, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just it, again, it just even when some of my favorite musicians go and write a song that is again, I'll call it fictional. Um, it, it rarely hits me like, like the real narrative, like personal narrative ones too. It's just, it's, you know, per, everybody's relationship with music and how they yeah. grew up with it. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with you on that hundred percent. All right. So we are now going into the meat and potatoes of our mm-hmm. episode here. So invigorated. on get, we're getting invigorated with oh, yeah. our butch vig and garbage 
spotlight here. So on June 11th, in probably just a few days from when this episode will be online and available, mm-hmm. Garbage is releasing their seventh studio album, which actually surprised me. I guess I wasn't paying attention to what they were doing the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised to learn that that was actually going to be, that this is going to be their seventh studio album, No Gods, mm-hmm. No Masters. And it is their first album in about five years. Strange Little Birds came out in 2016. And because it's not out yet, I don't have a reaction to the entire album, obviously, but there are three tracks uh, available at the time uh, that we're recording this, and they're they're bangers as far as I'm concerned. I was blasting yeah. them in the car, and I yeah. love these new songs. I think they're fantastic. Wolves, yeah, Wolves Hit Me. I mean, Men Who Ruled the World is, is such a Shirley Manson uh, song. Like, she has just leaned into her narrative and writing and her opinions and, and I'm here for it. You know, I, 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 you know, she and I agree on a lot of things. Um, but it's, it's interesting to go back to some of the earlier songs and hear that sort of like perspective in there, but just maybe not as, as stark or done in a different way. And I think that you can see that she's grown into, um, her kind of comfort level and and uh, and and confidence or, or whatever it is to just kind of lay it all out there and just not mince words and just yeah just kind of yeah. be very stark about what she's trying to get across. Um, it's yeah it's it's it, it's really good. I, Wolves for me has been the song of the three that have come out so far. That's just it's got that garbage energy to it. Um, it yeah. rips. It's got it's got some meaning to it. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for this one for sure. Yeah. Wolves is definitely my favorite of the three. Um, not by a huge margin though. I love the other songs. Mm -hmm. Um, speaking of the songwriting, uh, I was interested to learn in digging into their first album, the self-titled album from 95 that she had never actually written before that album. Mm -hmm. So, um, that is kind of her very first, uh, dive into actual songwriting. Um, I guess her previous projects, you know, she wasn't actually writing the material. She was just performing. And um, it's, it is really, really interesting to see the growth and to see just kind of the difference in the energy. Um, Plus with that first album, they were still kind of just trying to figure out what they were, what they wanted to do. Yeah. And I remember reading a little bit about um, the audition uh, when, you know, the, the band was there. The first audition. Yeah. Yeah. The band was there and, um, she, she's quoted as saying that the first, uh, audition was terrible, that it went horribly wrong. Um, She was nervous. I mean, you have to think she's standing in front of, um, Butch Vig, uh, you know, three, three fantastic musicians and producers, but Butch Vig who had just come off of producing, which we'll get into, but some of the most, uh, important albums in rock, uh, those few years before I had Nevermind by Nirvana, uh, Siamese dream by smashing pumpkins. I mean, so she, she walked in there, um, performing and auditioning, um, for someone who was, I, I, yeah, it must have been a very intimidating situation to be in, for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine that 
that would feel to me similar to, you know, what my experience might be like working yeah. with Paul McCartney if I got yeah. that opportunity. <laughs> From like, earlier, yeah. Uh, I might be too nervous to, you know, really be able to display what I was capable of. So, um, but thankfully, they got along so well outside of the recording aspect. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with that connection that they were able to make, um, tried it again and got it to work. And we are very, very glad that they did. Yeah. Yeah. You have to kind of think about also just the, the environment of what was going on in rock at that time too, for a band like this to come out. I mean, 95, you haven't had that mainstream slickness to, to rock. You're not near your pop rock, punk, pop punk, whatever it is that comes later on in the, in the decade and no. early into the two thousands. It was you all have grunge. grunge. You have grunge, but it's, it's like, it's kind of transitionary and, and again, we're talking about Butch, who was the mastermind for a lot of those important albums in yeah. grunge. And then kind of, the, again, he he is creating this band with these artists that is then going to transition to massive mainstream success. Uh, I mean, Nevermind, as a grunge album, is slick. It is, I mean, Cobain has and he he contradicts himself all the time so you can't really lean on what he's saying at any point anyway but he at many times was saying that he hated the production on nevermind that it was too slick and that the the success was too much and it was it was too over the top and catapulted him to this this great success and so then you look at some of these garbage albums that we're going to talk about um and in a matter of like 3 years this band puts out seven hits, you know, something like that, six or seven hits, like sinks in movies and TV shows. It's just, it's wild what they're, what they pull off. Um, and, and again, like this thread of Butch Vig through the whole thing of just this, like this mastermind behind the scenes, who's very humble, super smart, very engaging. Um, yeah, like just, I can't I can't speak highly enough of this guy. Like I I'm a big big Bushvig fan if it doesn't come across already. Yeah, absolutely. I am too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so well, and one of the uh one of the anniversary albums this year uh we are 30 years um from the release of the first kind of big uh, Smashing Pumpkins album Gish. Mm-hmm. That came yeah. out in 91. Uh and that was the same year that Butch produced Nevermind. Um, right. So he he just kind of right out the bat with his at least you know more well known uh, artists you've got that first Smashing Pumpkins record and you've got the breakout uh, Nirvana album Nevermind the same year and so you know yeah no wonder Shirley Manson was was nervous and intimidated in that in that audition um, in 1992 he produced Sonic Youth's Dirty uh, which was kind of uh, one of their more commercially successful albums um, turned right back mm-hmm. around in 1993 and produced Siamese Dream, which was more of their breakout album for Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Um, 94, another Sonic Youth album with Experimental Jet Set. And, um, and then it's, it's kind of interesting when you, when you look at the list because then there's kind of a large... Yeah. He became a rock star, exactly. like a, a pop star, really. Like he he went from behind the scenes producer to being a, a, a rock star. Um, yeah. And and what's interesting is, I mean, you, so you say like he he's 
simultaneously basically working with Billy Corgan at the beginning of his career and at the launch of what the Smashing Pumpkins become um, and is also uh, working with Nirvana and Nirvana like so Butch had been working with Sub Pop a bunch right and uh, Nirvana is on Sub Pop at least initially and then there's uh, yeah, the whole the kerfuffle where that <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore right. but he he gets like enlisted onto that project but then doesn't know if he's actually like they do the demos and then he doesn't actually know if he's going to be doing that so then he goes and does Gish and he's working on that with with Billy um, and it seems like by all accounts they get on great because um, as we can get into like Butch loves layering I mean you listen yeah. to I, Disarm off of Siamese Dream for me oh it's just so fantastic it's just yeah it's 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 raw but it's drenched like it's it's so so good um, and it seems like Billy was very receptive to that whereas um, Kurt apparently not so much um you know right. butch butch made the point that um that you know lennon and mccartney as we talked about earlier lennon and mccartney uh did overdubs and and tracking and such so you know it's not it, it's not something that he should be that shy of but i think cobain wanted this raw one takeness kind of yeah the sound to it yeah right um, and Butch, as we will, as you see, especially with Garbage and even some of the later stuff. But again, when you think of what Nirvana was before Nevermind, um, or you think about Smashing Pumpkins as they go through um, into Siamese Dream, Butch is this, he's known as this guy who can maintain a punk sensibility, but he gives it that pop palatable He makes like, pop records. Sense. He, he does, but there's still garage punk enough to be authentic there's yeah. a bunch of bands that he has worked with over the years that value him because he he rides that line so well um and again like we go back to garbage um you, you look at only happy when it rains stupid girl uh queer like those early songs that are counter culture Tongue in cheek, yeah. like only happy when it rains is he and Shirley had been listening, watching MTV and listening to the radio and everybody was miserable. And they're like, <laughs> OK, well, I'm going to write a sarcastic song about that. You exactly. know, and then it takes off because it's catchy as heck and it's really great. Like it, it's it's well written and catchy. And the guy the guy just knows how to marry those two sounds so, so yeah. well. And as is the case with most satire, I think I think the sarcasm was lost on most people. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, maybe because of her look or whatever. Okay, so mm -hmm. what was the first garbage song that you remember hearing, and what your reaction was to it? That's a that's a great question, and and this is going to be I think consistently um, you and I are probably going to both from from age and tastes and experiences and whatever. Like I think you and I are going to consistently have a little different situation. Um, yeah. So mine is actually, I remember seeing the music video for push it, which is off of oh, version okay. 2.0, the second album. Yeah. So I was, I, I, I definitely had heard of garbage and I'd probably heard only happy when it rains. Um, but 96, 97 is when I started like 
actively getting into my musical tastes. Yeah. Um, and so I remember the music video for Push It was really creepy. It was black and white and then like just odd. There was a a guy in a suit, but he had a light bulb for a head. It was it just yeah. it was it was so weird, man. Yeah, it was one of those I remember, weird ones. It was so odd. Um, and so it hooked me, you know, yeah, weird teenage me. Like I was like, this is so cool. My parents and I went to the wall and I bought it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, she's cool and gorgeous. And then like, Oh yeah. You, uh, you see it was either hammering in my head or I think I'm paranoid where like she sticks her fist in her mouth and she's just like tossing her hair around. And I, it's just, it was such a cool vibe. Um, For sure. So yeah, so I, that that was my thing. It's interesting. Um, I my wife loves the movie uh, Romeo and Juliet, which was a huge film oh, that yeah. I hadn't seen at the time. It was, but huge. that was another one that like that number one crush, not on an album. Like was it was a B side from their first album that winds up. I think it's one of their only like actual number one hits. Like they had so many top 10 hits, but it's only one, oh, it's wow. one of their only number one hits um, off of this monster movie, monster soundtrack. One of the most mm-hmm. iconic so- soundtracks of that like era of the nineties sure. before sure. you get into American pie and all of that, like that real, like it was love fool by the cardigans. Like there was a bunch of things on that soundtrack that just, that it sold like crazy. It, it launched that Radiohead movie. Radiohead is on there. Yep. Yeah. Really so, good soundtrack. Um, so then, so yeah, so I, I remember hearing number one crush after, after that and then going back to buying the first album after I bought version 2.0. What about you? I actually remember seeing the music video for queer on MTV and of course instantly fell in love with Shirley Manson. I mean, I would have been like 13, something like that. So I was like, Mm -hmm. plus for some reason I've always gravitated towards those kind of scary women. Like I loved intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. For, I don't know what, what it, we don't need to go there. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, instantly was a fan. And, um, uh, I just remember it being kind of like, Oh, should I even be watching this? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, cause it's got a little bit of some sexual themes to it. So being 13, you just kind of like look over your shoulder and make sure that, you know, no one's walking in the room while you're watching the music video. But, um, and and it had kind of a little bit of a trip hop, uh, feeling to it, um, which I really dug. And it, um, it, it really affected me in a positive way. And I, and I was a big fan from the get go. Um, the, the next memory that I have is seeing the music video for special, which is oh, man. very weird, but you know, they, they're like dog it's like fighting. A jet fighter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost like these old timey kind of steampunk airplanes yeah. and they're, they're dog fighting and stuff like that. Just a weird concept for a music video. Um, and also a little bit of a departure from what most of their hits sounded like where it was kind of more of an upbeat sounding song. Yeah. Um, and so I remember that quite vividly as well. But then after that, um, it, they started to kind of fall off my radar. It, well, I think that happened to a lot of people. I mean, there's a weird thing that happened there where, um, 
And I, I tried to think a bit about it because we knew we were going to talk about this this week because I didn't buy the third album as well. And it, it seemed like it, it was a, a consistent thing. It just underperformed for whatever reason. And I, I went back and I listened to it again. And it's great. You know, it's really yeah. good. I don't know why it didn't connect, um, especially because she I mean, they did a Bond song, you know, like that, yeah. like who so few people get to sing a James Bond. That's song. a very like, special <laughs> honor for sure. So cool. Yeah. And then they come out with a great third album that just it didn't connect. And I don't know upon re-listening to it, um, like Androgyny is a great song. There's a there's a bunch of singles that they push it's for consistent. it. Just, yeah, it just it didn't stick like the others. Um, I think. I, I kind of chalk it up to two things. One, you just never know. 2001 was a weird time. Oh, like, it sure was. You, so you don't know. I can't, you know, to delve back into what was going on sonically there in pop culture is tough. But also, as a band grows and and kind of gets to that level where they were again, they had written so many hits and they were in all these movies um, that I it's they start kind of experimenting and expanding with mm-hmm. what they want to represent and sound like and write. Um, and it, it might've just been a little bit of an oil and water thing. It could have just been like, you know, the, I, cause it seems like I look back, the promotion was there. They did, a, there was a lot of push and, and interesting like remix opportunities and stuff that like they, they pushed this. It wasn't, you know, you'll, you'll see some albums that just get shelved or they yep. just get rolled out and they never get pushed. Um, and it, it just, it seems like it just didn't connect for some reason, but it's definitely worth going back to. I, it, you know, I, I highly suggest that third album has a lot of great songs on it. It does. And you know what may also have been a major factor is it came out right around 9-11, which mm. kind of put a damper on Across everything, life itself. Yeah. So yeah. that that could have played a big factor. But then at the same time, you had other albums that came out around that time, like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And mm. like that was huge for Wilco. Yeah. Like we know yeah. who Wilco is, or most people know who Wilco is today because that album was so popular. So yeah. it's kind of hard to say, you know, um, uh, the first Strokes record came out around that same time too. So, you know, you can't just blame it on 9 11, but it definitely could have played a, a major factor. Yeah. But yeah. And especially so- after that, they just kind of like, uh, they lost me personally, but right. I would still go back and listen to the the first couple of records pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, and so I, speaking just for myself, like I kind of as as much of a bummer as, as it is for, for that band, although obviously they've been able to you know, keep going all these years. We're talking about their seventh album. They're going back on tour. Shirley's got her own radio show and everything, Mm but, um, and they've, they've, you know, consistently released music every few years. Um, but for me, there was this run of albums while I was at college and I was kind of like having my next kind of discovery of Mm -hmm. music that I liked in my musical identity um, and it wasn't until uh, the Jimmy Eat World Chase This Light album that I realized, like I, because I started digging into 
the liner notes a bit more of some of my yeah, favorite you start to pay artists. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm seeing this name and I know Everywhere. that he's in. Yeah. And, and I go back um, and it's interesting. So he did sing the sorrow for, by AFI, which was their major mm-hmm. label debut after five, I think like legit punk records, like, goth misfits-esque punk records they made they did the thing that we were just talking about they had to come up with a pop sound for their club uh and their punk club energy and so butch is the guy that the labels go to for that and all the bands want to go to to marry that together um and butch is he was quoted like he he was approached by um, by them to do this and and he didn't he, he didn't get it at first and he went to a show um, and he saw the way that the the audience sang and chanted and engaged with that band Hell again yeah. in that in that like they have that a communal punk yeah I mean uh, their shows especially back then but even now um, it, it's it was such a communal punk situation that he walked out of that and he said, I want to do this, but I want to make sure I can represent that on the album. I have to find a way to make sure that that comes across here. And I think he For did. Sure. He did it really well. It 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 it, it definitely plays um, against me. Another band that raw punk kind of sensibility um, that they broke through with their pop sounding record, uh, new wave. And then he came back and did white crosses, which I think everyone should check that, that, that album is, is fantastic. What is the second album he did with them? Um, I'm a huge Jimmy world fan and chase this light is almost like too sweet. Like they're already a pop band. You, everybody knows the middle. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is two albums after the middle. They had just come off of uh, a pretty raw, but powerful album called futures that had a bunch of hits on it. Um, and they were looking for something else and it's kind of a unique situation with, with them because they had already found their, their pop success. And so um, I love that album, but it's not as regarded um, as highly regarded as some of the others, because I, I don't know if it was the right marriage. You know, I, it works for me as a fan of that band and a fan of Butch, yeah. but I don't know if, if it's what they needed at that point. Um, yeah, I'd, I have to go back and listen to it. I, I have actually not heard either of those Against Me albums, and it would be interesting in you know a retrospect to mm-hmm. see what those are all about. White Crosses is 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 gorgeous, and just as a as a side note, I mean so. As they were making that album, you had the lead singer, Tom Gable at the time, who was coming to terms with the fact that he was actually a woman and became Laura Jane Grace. I do remember um, that. And, uh, and there's so much on that album that now knowing her, you can go back and and see what she was going through. And there's, I, there's moments on that album that just choke me up. But again, there's, oh, there's wow. this, like, there's this pop sensibility. There's this, like, it's so easy to listen to. It's the thing that you'll get stuck in your head. There's a song on that album that I can't play in the house because my wife will just like, she's like, she'll wake up and have it stuck in her head. It's so catchy. So <laughs> I, there's, yeah, there's, I, I won't put that on the playlist. Um, <laughs> you kind of um, have to now. <laughs> I guess maybe um, I'll touch on real quick, just, 
21st Century Breakdown by Green Day mm-hmm. um, is another weird situation. Um, there's a lot of great songs on that album, but again, that band had found, I would say, probably its third, if you're saying like Dookie and then again Nimrod and then again American Idiot. Like they had already found their pop success three times. So going to Butch for this one seemed an odd move again. Um, there's some I, there's some really solid punk songs on there, um, but they were writing this opera and I think that they wanted it to go back to their roots a little bit, but mm-hmm. still be catchy. They needed to keep their American idiot crowd. Yeah. Um, and it succeeds at moments. It's definitely not, you know, it's not one of my favorite Green Day albums, but there's a few songs. That's one where I think, it was hampered by the fact that it was five years after the album before it. And the album before it had four massive hits that reinvented yeah. that band. You were never going to live up to it. The band was pressured to live up to it and didn't know what to deliver. So they delivered what they wanted to and what they thought would work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of fell flat a little bit. Yeah, I um, literally don't even remember it coming out. That's how. Yeah. Well, and a part of it was the single that they went with was just this very generic anthemic thing that just gets repeated over and over again. It's it's just not interesting. And I remember mm. listening to it as it was being released and hearing, I'm sure you've had this happen before, where you, the single that's on the radio is what it is. And then you listen to the album and you're like, what about this song? Like, yeah. why didn't they put this out instead? This is the hit. Yep. This would have done it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's two or three songs on that album that should have been singles, I think, but I, I understand they, they thought that they had a path or a promotional plan or whatever. And it, it fell flat. Yeah. Um, we should talk wasting light though, for sure. Yes. And if, if we're talking Foo Fighters albums mm-hmm. and this is as a Foo Fighters fan from day one hearing this is a call on the radio before I even knew who was in the Foo Fighters at the time. Right, right. Wasting Light is probably my second favorite Foo Fighters album. Wow. After after Color and the Shape. Yeah. It's a um, great one, man. For those that don't know, the the concept kind of started when Dave Grohl was basically saying, you know what? I have this old Nev board in like above his garage basically and called up Butch and was like, Hey, I want to make an analog album, record it to tape and do it in my garage. Mm-hmm. Like actual and, garage, like not like a fancy garage, but no, legitimately literally. like a two car garage. <laughs> so, um, that was kind of the, the spark that, um, got that album off the ground. And uh, I just think it's one of their best. It, it, it yeah. has really, really good songs. Um, it's, it's so punchy and, uh, raw sounding, but still, still polished and, and poppy in in the way that Butch knows how to, how to m- marry those two things. And it's, it's just, one of those albums that I can really put on front to back. And then I want to start right back at the beginning again. I love it. Yeah. And you have to wonder also, I mean, the setup there must've been so crazy and so unique. And, and it wasn't even just that. Yeah. It it wasn't just that it was in the garage, but that everything had to be done to actual tape. There was no 
Pro Tools magic or anything that goes on there. It's actually to tape, like analog tape, um, which isn't anything about... I mean, obviously, Butch was doing that before all the stuff that we were talking about here. But as we've talked about him becoming this like top-tier, sought-after, slick, pop-savvy producer, then to suddenly be yanked back to... Yeah. Okay. Everything. Everything is is cut. You know, you're actually pulling out your knife and you're cutting up and cutting up tape uh, <laughs> to make your edits. It's got to be weird. And also to have Chris Novoselic from Nirvana on this album. I mean, to reunite basically Grohl, Butch, and Chris must have yep. been uh, to be in the room for that. Like, wow, that must Just have been amazing. insane. Yeah. And then yeah. that that leads right into um, the Sound City reel to reel. Um, soundtrack, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that. Uh, if, if for those that don't know, Sound City was a documentary, um, 2013, I believe. And if you're a music fan, you, you and you haven't seen it, you really need to see it. It's it's yeah. basically centered around uh, this one recording studio uh, that is, you know, probably most famous for Fleetwood Mac, but just so many artists. And, um, that's where the Nev board that Dave Grohl now owns came from. And so he created this documentary around the studio and around the board and the performances that happened there. And so they were like, well, why don't we take this board and make, uh, make a final sound city album. And there's just, you know, they, they bring in Stevie Nicks, Trent Reznor, Paul McCartney, and there's a song on that album that's basically Nirvana, but with Paul McCartney in place of Kurt Cobain. It's so Paul crazy. McCartney, Dave Grohl, Chris Novoselic, and Pat Smear. And it's like, how cool is that? Yeah. Just incredible. And that's probably my favorite song off of that album, but there's a lot of really cool collaborations on that album. It's definitely worth a listen. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Butch comes back, I I think in part to produce or co-produce Sonic Highways, which again, another, another theme sort of album, whereas Wasting Light was, you know, let's get back to roots, let's get back to basics. And then, um, Dave says, all right, well, we're going to go, we're going to go around the country. And I think there was an HBO show for it as well. Um, where they, they just went to some of the, some of the most important American cities, um, and, and explored Uh and wrote a song. Yeah. For, for in, in each one or for each one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember subscribing to HBO just to watch it and it's a really cool concept. I'm not as big of a fan of it as far mm-hmm. as the songs are concerned, but I, I love the concept and the collaborations and, and what they did. I, I think I like it more as a companion piece to the documentary series or the, you know, the, the TV series uh, than as an album to listen to for me yeah. personally. Yeah, I haven't actually, I admittedly haven't spent a lot of time with it, but um, I, I did kind of flag that there is that song with Gary Clark Jr. for the Austin. Yep, I was uh, just going to say, episode, that Austin yeah. one is the best. That was is the it? best episode, in my Not opinion. Not biased at all. <laughs> actually, the DC one is really, really cool as well. Uh, okay, yeah. That's basically it. He did um, a, the, the newest or most recent Silver Sun Pickups album mm-hmm. in 2019, which I honestly haven't even listened to yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to yeah, digging into that when I have the time. Uh, love yeah. that band. But yeah, now he is uh, back 
doing the garbage thing. And it's kind of yeah. interesting to go back and look at the dates of the garbage album releases and the big uh, producing gigs that he did and, you know, see how they kind of weave in and out of each other on mm-hmm. the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. You can see like he obviously is at a point where he gets to kind of pick and choose the projects that he wants to Absolutely. work on. And, As he should. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, if he t- takes on a production gig and then he can jump over to, if he gets inspired for a garbage thing, he's had, you know, two or three other side projects that he's done, um, as well in the past few years. So I, I, it's, it's great to just see someone again, who is, is very inspired and, and obviously has had this incredible impact on the music that we love, um, who kind of gets to do and be creative in the way that he wants to. Um, and, sure. and I, I, again, going back to it, like, I'd love to see him just play drums. Like I'd love to just go see, <laughs> like you go, that's one of those things where you go to a show to hear the songs that you love or to, to have a great experience, a great night. But there's also some of those shows where you go, cause you just want to see someone play guitar. You just want to be in the presence of someone absolutely. doing something and seeing Butch Vig play drums. is just so cool. The yeah. coolest. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, man. Liam, this has been an invigorating episode. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> nice. I like it. I'm I'm really <laughs> excited that we got to talk about all this great stuff. We yeah. clearly didn't even have time to touch on absolutely everything, but right. um I think we hit all of the major highlights mm-hmm. and uh appreciate your insight on everything and this has been really really fun. I I, I love doing this. I can't wait for episode 3. Yeah, man, this is great. Thanks for listening to Retro Groove. We are part of the Retrologic Network. Check out the website, retrologic.games, for social links, merchandise, community, and more. And with that, we will see you next time on Retro Groove. Bye. Bye.